It's Tuesday, October 6, 2020, and this is The Pit Show. What's up, everybody? Jay Miller here, and you're listening to The Pit Show for October 6, 2020. Y'all, it's my birthday. Like, it's this is awesome. Like, I'm I've it's felt like a lot has been happening. Uh, whether we're talking about everything in the news, we're talking about everything with like the polls and stuff. But today is usually my day. Um, for those that don't know, uh, I tend to do a lot of things uh every day in general. Um, I work a lot. That's something that I want to kind of dive into a little bit more in this conversation. Plus later we'll be having uh, an interview that I held earlier in the year with uh, my good friend Trey Hunter. But I really wanted to look at the past few months for me this transition into a new role, um, as I've mentioned, kind of with like what that means for Pitt, and then also how I value the idea of doing things for myself, uh, doing things like as my own entity or person or whatever. So we're going to talk about a lot of that stuff. But like I said, I just wanted to let everybody know that, uh, yeah, thank you so much for giving me a couple of weeks off. Um I'm actually going to kick it off with that. Uh, thank you so much for that. For those that don't know, again, Pitt, the parent company of the Pitt Show, Productivity and Tech, is not just a podcast, not just an online community, but it's also a business that I run, that I'm the you know sole employee and owner and all that good stuff, where I help people in the tech space that are also creating content. I help them with their content and... The last project that I had was a conference that I was speaking at, but I was also doing transcriptions for. And for those that don't know, like transcriptions are like a lot of work. Uh, in the end, I wound up doing like 60 something files, um, a few thousand index lines, and then like I think it was like 400,000 seconds or no, 40,000 seconds of like audio. So it was a lot of work. And I had two choices. It was either like work and get this stuff done or like try to record and, and do all these things and then still have to work and get this stuff done. So the extra time that I had that I took from not recording an episode the last two weeks uh, was really pivotal in making sure that I could get that done and still have a little bit of sanity in my day. But uh, as I mentioned, like with that, there was a lot of work that was involved with that. And let's talk about this. So the last, uh, I've been at my new job for a month now. For those that don't know, I'm a developer advocate for a company called Elastic, the people that made Elastic Search. I'm really loving this job. I'm loving the opportunity. I love how they take care of their employees. Like I am... I've drank the Kool-Aid. I'm on board, like Team Elastic. Let's do this. But there is that question, uh, even when I announced that I was becoming a developer advocate, uh, there was a question about, well, what does that mean for Pitt? What does that mean for productivity and tech? 
And I think a lot of people were were kind of like, okay, um, Pitt was kind of a distraction from, you know, not being happy at my last job and needing to have something different happen. And I mean, I wouldn't say that you're entirely wrong, but I would also say that there's more to it than that. Um, I've been working on Pitt for the last six years now, and I've only been married for seven years. So like Pitt has been a very constant uh, source of, of personal value in my life for the majority of my independent adulthood. And it's not something that I can just give up easily. Like it's something that even when I have had to say like, Hey, we're going to take a step back. Hey, we're going to take a break. It always finds a way to just creep back up. And one of the things that I've been thinking about more in me growing as a content creator, as a podcaster, as a, um, business person was the idea of a brand. Um, that's something that I think a lot of people that I've met have very mixed signals about. The idea of, can my brand be more than just me? Do people need to know Jay Miller, the person, or Pitt, the, the brand? And that's something that I've struggled with. I honestly don't know which one is stronger at this point. I think there's a, a good balance between the two. Uh, that was one of the reasons why we changed the name of the show from Productivity and Tech to The Pit Show, because even though the mindset behind Pit had changed, the brand felt too strong to get away from. And since I was referring to it as Pitt for the most part, it, it's almost like that idea of like brands like 3M, where people don't know what 3M even stands for. I think it's like the Minnesota manufacturing or something like that. Minnesota mining and manufacturing. I don't, I don't know. But uh, like the, the idea, like people, people start to forget what the acronym stands for. There's a town that I grew up near called Alcoa. And Alcoa actually stands for Aluminum Companies of America. It's literally a town that was built around a factory. So it's one of those things that after a while, the brand becomes larger than the mission, the original mission of the brand. And I feel like right now is the perfect time to look at what is Jay doing and what is Pitt doing? And I think that there's value in separating those two because it gives me the ability to distinguish my focuses. Jay is doing awesome stuff in Python and JavaScript and, and learning how, you know, a little bit of data science at this point, wanting to get more into the, like, how do I analyze data? How do I observe and start to look and make good um, hypotheses based on the information that's been presented to me, at least at a cursory glance? And Pitt is focusing more on how can I help a larger group of folks without being as visible 
with the work. Uh, and as I mentioned, one of the, the last big jobs that I had was this big, you know, transcription project for a conference. I see myself maybe not doing full conferences, but creating more tools that help support transcriptions or, you know, I, I have render engine, the static site generator project that I've been working on on and off. And right now it's in the off phase because I really don't have much to do with it right now. But also the idea of continuing to help some of those people that I help on a regular basis where Pitt's name never comes up. It's not mentioned. And also playing in the back ground in the community space. So having the private pit slack where, you know, people are hanging out, people are living their best tech lives together, sharing information and resources, being there as an emotional like support system for folks, whether they're, you know, trying to get into their jobs, whether they're going through a transition in their jobs, or whether they're just hoping to learn and grow in whatever they're currently doing. And it's okay that those two things can be separate. I mean, there's, there's a lot of interests that I have as, as Jay, the developer, as Jay, the speaker, that don't have to necessarily have context in pit the business or pit the brand. You know, I don't, I don't try to rope, you know, my daughter into stuff that's pit related. I don't try to rope my wife into stuff that's pit related. And in fact, I don't have to advertise for pit anymore. And it's, it's a nice and refreshing feeling knowing that that's the case. Now, at the end of the day, it's still me doing all of these things, but having that knowledge that there is a distinction between the two areas gives me a lot of ability to scope out what I want out of each. And after this interview, we're going to break that down a little bit. So Thank you so much for, for listening. Thank you so much for letting me kind of get all that stuff out, especially as we're like, again, we're kind of celebrating a birthday. We're celebrating, you know, the the end of a, a great month of work and experiencing and, and kind of reflecting on that. But let's jump into the conversation. Uh, my guest this week is someone that I have known my entire programming career. In fact, I met them at the very first meetup that I ever went to, and I'm super stoked that I finally got them on the show. Uh, we talk a lot. We talk behind the scenes, and uh, they're a fan of the show, too. They, they enjoy listening to it. So uh, everybody, please give a big welcome to my guest, Trey Hunter. On the line with me, I have someone that I have known as long as I have been a developer. Funny enough, the first time I met my guest, I was watching the logo to his current business be made. So this is someone near and dear to me, especially from a professional level. But on the line, I have my good friend, the one and the only Trey Hunter. Trey, how are you doing? I'm doing great. That was a great introduction. And I completely forgot that you got to see my logo being made, which I love my logo. Yeah, it's it's insane. In fact, 
you gave me my first conference t-shirt because you had just gotten back from PyCon PDX that, or oh. what? no, it was Montreal. It was PyCon Montreal. Oh, that, that was year. my very first PyCon. So I gave you <laughs> my, my first PyCon t-shirt. I guess I chose to give to you. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's super interesting to see. And like, for some reason in my mind, I thought like you, you were like this, sage developer from like you know the origins of python and you had like all of this knowledge and now you're like you know i was probably programming like a year or two longer than you yeah i I joined the meetup like two years before you did it was like that was when i found the community was a little bit before you so so let's uh we've we've already spent like almost the length of an entire show just catching up with each other before the show. So let's jump in. For those that don't know you, uh, give, a, give a kind of a brief rundown of all the stuff that you're doing in the Python space. Yeah, so it's funny. If I kind of go in from today, it feels more impressive to me than it would have, for example, back then, because there's, you know, there's, there's the feeling of the slow buildup. And um, what I do today is I do Python training for teams, um, often on site, though right now, obviously not on site. So a lot of remote training right now. Uh, and I also run a service called Python Morsels, which I send out one Python exercise either, every week or every month. And you can choose your skill level. That's not meant for learning Python, though. That's meant for folks who are kind of already in the weeds with Python and want to improve their skills, improve the readability of their code, better utilize you know, parts of the language they didn't know about. Um, and then what else do we do? I guess I, I used to give more talks at conferences. Now that conferences are less of a thing, I don't so much. Although I also purposely decided I was going to give less talks because it, it takes a lot of time to prepare a talk and I've decided to do a little bit more work on other stuff. But I'd say those are the two main things that I do is besides you know writing random things on the internet, running Python morsels to help random people on the internet improve their Python skills, which is really fun and uh, working directly with teams who can have me come in and uh, improve their Python skills in kind of a more uh, hands-on basis. You know, it's it's so cool that, you know, just I was looking at your site and like the talks that you've given. One, I've seen all of these talks, if not in person, like on YouTube. Um, but I've always like, you're always like pushing these these cool areas of of Python. And I, I think the first one that I ever heard was, I, I know you did it at PyCon, the using list comprehensions and generator expressions. I literally had to watch that like a couple of days ago for a project that I was working on just as a refresher for awesome. it. And I'm going to pick your brain on that later because I'm still banging my head against the wall in terms of like code design stuff. But I have to ask, there's there's this one piece of Python code that I, I tend to use a lot. But I know a lot of people, whenever they see it in my code, they're like, wait a minute, you 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 use the walrus operator? <laughs> yep. Is yep. that something that you do in your code often? Are you always like on the forefront of, um, I guess, new features in Python? Well, it, I mean, it's hard to say often because, you know, like you implied here, it's new, right? It's in, we're at 3.8. It was added in 3.8. So it was only added to the language within the last year or so, I think. I'm, you know, my memory's serving me um, or not failing me there. So I use it, but I use it 
mostly in Python morsels solutions, because when I'm, so how Python morsels works is I send an exercise, it has different parts to it to kind of rank, ratchet up the difficulty level if you want, as well as automated tests, um, which we were talking about a little bit before the show. But then after you attempt it, I send solutions. And I don't just send one because there's never one way to solve a problem. I try to send lots of different ways you might solve it and explain why one might be better than another. And so the Walrus operator has to come into play there because people are going to ask me about it, even <laughs> if I don't like it. And so I, I have to solve it using the Walrus operator. I have to use Lambda expressions, even though I'm not a big fan of them. I have to use things that I'm not a big fan of, just for the sake of discussion at least. I do think though that I kind of like the Walrus operator in certain use cases, but most of the time where I go, oh, we could use a walrus operator here. I usually follow it up with, but we probably shouldn't in this case <laughs> because there's a lot of places you can use it and it will make your code shorter, but it makes it really hard to read. I do think that there's some pretty elegant places though in while loops and sometimes in if statements where when you're really low level nitty gritty where you're like reading you know, 256 chunks from a file at a time and you have to manually call the read method and it's in a while that you're doing it and you'd have a lot of like three lines of code repetition if you didn't have the walrus operator, that's where I feel like it's kind of made for that use case. So I, I like it, but I don't like to stretch its use. <laughs> Meanwhile, that was, a really, that was a longer answer than I expected I could give on the walrus operator. <laughs> so for the, I will put a link in the show notes so that people can learn what the walrus operator in Python is. I'm sure there's like someone that's like a PHP developer or a Laravel developer that's like, what are you talking about? But right. that's perfectly fine. I think for me, I've always had this bad habit. I, I think Kenneth Love once told me like, the problem that he saw with a lot of my code is that if I learn a new way to do something, like that is my new go-to for like doing that thing. And at the moment, like I am a more iter tools like junkie. Like I, I had to refactor some code earlier because I literally had thrown in there like, what was it? Um, if some some condition um, is in this lambda filter false statement <laughs> and i was just like okay i'm obviously overcomplicating this let me just rip all of this out and then maybe put it somewhere else where it doesn't have to be as complicated yeah i don't think you're alone at all i feel like this is a um i don't think it's an inherent feature of people who enter this field but i feel like it's kind of almost a, t a stereotypical feature that if you write code the type of people who are often told you should write code for a living are often the type of people who latch on to the next cool thing. And so I feel like, like I have this tendency too, and I've like, it's just years of me fighting back against it and telling myself when there's a new cool, shiny thing, I shouldn't get it. I mean, this is the same with gadgets, right? Like tech gadgets, there's a new, there's a new cool thing. I don't want to be an early adopter because I would rather other people do that for me. And then later I'll get it once it's boring. And once it's boring, then it'll actually work. Then I'll know how to use it. Then I'll, I'll know the ways to use it. And so it, I, you know, I have to do a bit of both because being a tech educator, people always ask like, how, where would you use the walrus operator? And I go, it literally came out last month. Like I, I don't know how to answer this yet, <laughs> but I do kind of have to have some sort of answer at some point. So I, I get to, I get to have that excuse of experimenting. I have a good reason to, but whenever I'm writing code for someone else, for a client, 
you know, years ago when I used to write code for, for clients a lot, it's so hard. It's so hard to fight that temptation. And I mean, you're writing code for yourself. So it really doesn't matter. You get to have fun. But I guess I would be careful, you know, when you're showing code to like a, a potential client or employer or whatever, when they look at it and go, whoa, you're using so many new features here. What's going on? I feel like explaining, like I did this for fun. Like I obviously, I would do it this more boring way if I was doing it at, at the workplace might be the way to go. It's, I don't, I don't know. That's, it, you're not alone at all. I, I wonder about that though, because the, the conversations I have with some other um, fellow Python, like Pythonistas that we both know, um, they often are, are saying like the stuff that you're doing for fun is stuff that one, I, I, I never imagined myself ever needing to do. So I wonder if like the idea of would I use this in, you know, code that I would write for someone else? I mean, I think in a way it does depend on the project because I'm often writing code for a very specific industry. You know, I'm, a lot of the code that I write supports podcasters, supports, um, you know, content creators. So for me, like, the industries that I'm operating in are fairly new. So a lot of the requirements that those industries need are fairly new. Like similar, I mean, right. earlier in the conversation, before we started recording, we were talking about like doing transcriptions for your courses. And it was like, when, when you're doing a transcription for a, a one minute course, it's a lot you have a lot more flexibility with what you want to use in comparison to doing a transcription for like an hour and a half conversation where, you know, if time gets out of sync, if speakers get jumbled up, it can have, you know, a serious toll on your sanity, to be honest. But, um, you know, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of money to fix those problems. So I often catch myself doing things that I've never done before, not just because it's like, oh, this is a new thing I could learn. It's like, I genuinely don't know how I would go about doing this. So let me break it into pieces. And one of these pieces happens to be solved using, you know, some really dumb Lambda expression that I should probably never have to write. Right, right. Yeah, I I hear what you're saying. I do think there's there's obviously a place for, you know, you're inventing the thing that will then be used by others. You're inventing the framework that's needed because it doesn't exist yet. But I feel like most of the time I think I need that. And this is the same with most of the time I I am going to make a web application that does this, it has this cool feature in it. I, I have to talk to someone who then makes me step back and realize, oh, I could just pay five bucks a month to the service that does the same thing. And then I won't end up spending 80 hours of time doing it myself. And I probably value my time more than the, you know that that amount of money there. So it you know, either paying for something or using someone else's thing or doing, throwing more CPU at the problem and doing things the boring way that's slower. If I can do that, I want to, even though, well, no, if I can do that, I should, even though I would rather do the thing that is over-engineered and I'll probably fail halfway through and give up. Definitely. And, and, you know, one of the things that you're often doing is you're teaching people. I mean, your, your talks that you've given are, really focused on like, let's understand a concept. Is that something that you feel a lot of developers are missing? And I think a good example of that, uh, 
we had a long conversation. Again, this this helps that we've actually like been talking for an hour before we started recording. So we had so yeah. many conversations that we can pull from. But we were talking about how, you know, a testing platform doesn't, although they phrase a function that they have or a set of functionality that they have, one would think that they're using certain built-in frameworks, but they're not. And that's by design. Do you often feel like you have to explain how a thing is actually working, especially when you start looking at things like iterators and um, especially like data classes, which are new, but there's there's you have to understand why you would want to use those things in, instead of the traditional method? Right. I do, but only once you go beyond the shallow level. And this, this is a tricky thing that if I'm teaching a brand new programmer or if I'm teaching someone who's not a brand new programmer, but they're brand new to Python and I don't necessarily know their background or maybe I do know their background, but it doesn't, you know, it, they're not going to understand certain terminology that I use. Starting with um, the shallowest level makes the most sense where you start with, here's the way the thing works at a surface level. There's no reason to start talking about iterators when you explain how for loops work, unless you're talking, unless you're at a pretty deep level where you're like, okay, now let's finally look under the hood and see how these things work for the sake of not just understanding them, but using that understanding to make other things or do other things or see how these two pieces fit together. And so I feel like while I am often fine, while I'm often explaining how something actually works at a lower level than you know a lot of other courses that I see out there. I think it's only because I'm purposely um, looking at that level where my audience is mostly folks who've been writing Python. They're self-taught. They didn't go through a formal Python course, a formal computer science degree. They didn't learn that you know the word sequence means this, the word iterably means that necessarily. They probably never learned about iterators because why would you need to learn about iterators when you're just <laughs> learning Python for the first time? And they, they might not have learned about dunder methods because you don't need to know about you know these weird methods that are for operator overloading if you're not overloading operators. And so it's it's under the hood stuff, but I think that it helps fit the pieces together. So I, I'm kind of making, in my mind, education for people who are sort of like me because I often just stumbled through learning. I would just copy paste some code. I would start changing the code. I would start trying to figure out what the code did. And then at some point I'm writing my own code that does the same thing. But I never stopped and went, what am I actually doing here? You know, what's going on into the hood? How does this thing actually work? <laughs> I, I, I believe I just got to that point in my career where it's like, now I, I need to understand how a thing is working because it's, the the difference between you know building a web you know if if my competitors to a service that I'm creating if they can do the exact same thing in you know a third of the time that it takes my system then I need to understand like okay I'm not trying to necessarily beat them on performance but if the first thing that people will say is man this thing is slow it's like okay I need to know why it's so slow and this and like where I can maybe make things more efficient. And and that's where I feel like a lot of your videos have helped me because it's often a an example of like, yes, you can get maybe a performance hit by doing it this way, but here's why that performance hit might be worth it. 
Or, and I think there was a really good PyCon talk about like how to refactor your code. And like the first step was like, don't refactor your code unless you absolutely need to refactor your code. Like you're until, until you're 100% sure this needs to be refactored, like don't refactor it. That's Um, great advice. But yeah, I, I, I just sit there and I think like when you're teaching people, especially, you know, you mentioned having to do a beginner level an intermediate level and an advanced level. What are the metrics for that? Like, what what do you what would you consider like beginner versus intermediate and intermediate versus advanced? And I think that that goes towards that whole like junior developer level, if that's a thing, to intermediate developer, which apparently there are never job opportunities for, and then like senior level developer. Or is it kind of that model, or are you like creating your own? I have no idea. <laughs> so I mean, I. This is the problem, right? No matter how I define those words, someone else is going to have a different definition. And so I try to kind of, um, I put things in those buckets. For, for This is for Python Morse, as we were talking about, that, you know, I when I'm sending exercises out, if you say this is my skill level, you expect to get an exercise appropriate for that skill level. I then have a feedback form. If you leave me feedback complaining this was too easy, this was too hard, I now know that a certain number of people think that this is not appropriate for the skill level. I still don't have that much more information about the skill level. I know that this one exercise, for some reason, some people think doesn't fit. But that doesn't mean other people think it doesn't fit. That means that some people you know, are loud enough to think that it doesn't fit. And so you know, there's some weird Venn diagram we all have in our head as far as what these things are. A lot of people put themselves in the novice bucket who shouldn't because they're more advanced um, or who put themselves in the novice bucket not realizing or they skipped over the part where I explained that Python morsels isn't for folks who are really new to Python, that you kind of, novice actually is not that novice. It's not actually (laughs) brand new. It's a little bit beyond that, which is confusing on my platform. And then intermediate, a lot of people put themselves in that bucket who shouldn't uh, because they think that they are more advanced than they are um, because I'm making different assumptions than they are about what advanced means. They may have been writing Python for a long time, but that doesn't mean that they've necessarily been using classes because you can write Python for years without caring about object-oriented programming depending on what you're using Python for. If you're parsing log files, you might not ever need to write a class. If you're using a web framework, probably classes are going to come into play somewhere. So it's the words are so, so fuzzy. And I, I feel like you really always need to have a hit list of here's the bullet points of what exactly I mean when I say novice or intermediate for all these different skill levels or, or topics we might talk about. Definitely. And how does how does that impact when you're doing like team training? Because I, I feel like that's where it would get like super complicated when you when you're talking you're talking to like a cto or you're talking to like a senior developer and you're like hey what's the skill level of your team well they don't want to be like no we have but we have a bunch of beginners but you know for them they're just like no we have five senior developers you know seven intermediate developers and 10 junior developers like that that doesn't answer your question it just like it just throws a ton of ambiguity and like okay you have a bunch of people that have been programming for different lengths of time that doesn't actually address what their actual skill level is. Yes. Um, You're hitting all the things that are scary (laughs) because, (laughs) you know, when I'm talking to clients, it, and I mean, it's, it's not really scary in the sense that it's um, it's a constant problem in that I, I try not to use those words at all. I ask, 
what are you using Python for? What are their backgrounds? Do they have programming backgrounds? What are their, you know, what have they used? What are their languages? Are they already writing Python code? Talk in specifics, because when you use the words intermediate, novice, they all want to say that they're very skilled people. And that's not going to be helpful for me. So when they want an intermediate Python course, I usually try to instead sell them on an intermediate level workshop that assumes knowledge of certain things. If they don't have that knowledge, we now need to talk about, well, how do we, you know, get that knowledge? Do we do a full intro class? Do we do something else? But I almost always try to sell people on, if you've never actually sat down and formally tried to learn Python, even if you've been writing it for a couple months, let's go back and learn Python. We'll skip over some of the beginning stuff quickly, but we'll go through it because you'll probably learn a few things that you didn't ever pick up on. Oh, that's why that works that way. And then we can get to the interesting stuff. And so I, I'm usually able to convince my clients that, you know, we may not call it an intro, but we're going to do a lot of kind of review-based stuff to make sure we're at the same foundation. Because object-oriented programming is a really big example where this, this comes up, where a room full of people who have different programming backgrounds, some of them will go, oh, a class, I get it. Some of them will go, a class, that's scary. And the ones who say, I get it, about half of them don't get it. They think they get it because they're coming from a very different programming language that has classes that don't work at all the way Python's classes do. So it's there's no good way to solve this without trying to, in the moment, kind of pander to the audience that you end up having in the room and changing the pace if you need to change it and saying, you know, we're going to cut this thing and focus more on this. Is that okay? And so kind of reading the pulse of the audience that you've got I feel like it's just always necessary. There's there's no way to go in beforehand knowing everything you need to know. At least every time I've tried that, it almost works most of the time, and then it doesn't work for some cases. That you know, you're talking about classes. I get it. Like that immediately made me think of like JavaScript objects. Like yeah. as much as I understand Python classes and I can like embrace a Python class or a Python data class, JavaScript objects just scare the fire out of me. And it's just like, I have no idea. Anytime they're like, oh yeah, you have this object thing here. And I'm like, nope, not going to mess with that. Just, I'm just going to yeah. continue down the road with what do I need to solve this problem? <laughs> and like the terminology that's used is even scarier. Cause like in Python, we have these scary words that we borrowed from other languages, like, um, having an instance of an object. In, in JavaScript, there's prototypical inheritance. What does that mean? <laughs> I, I am also scared by inheritance and how um, objects work in JavaScript. And I'm grateful that I, I don't have to teach that to brand new programmers. All right, that was my conversation with Jay, the first part of it. We'll probably talk a little bit more in a future episode, but be sure to check out all the stuff that Trey's doing. Python Morsels is like a really cool concept to the idea of teaching people and having this thing that you're doing outside of what the the main thing that you're doing. And and I really, really enjoy, I get the morsels every single week and, and I enjoy looking at them. I, I don't do every single one, mostly because I'm usually too busy, but I often look at what the question is and think of, at least in my head, of like how I would do that. And, and I can only say that I'm a better developer because of it. But before... Before we jumped into that interview, we were wrapping up my idea of like, is it okay if 
you know, Jay, the the person, Jay, the developer, and like Pitt, the brand, were kind of segmented away. And, you know, we came up with the answer of yes, but I wanted to look at how that impacts me as a professional. Now, one of the great things about working with a, an amazing company uh, at least from what I've seen, like I said, I've only been there a month. So I, I know that there's, there's always these feelings of, of, you know, glitz and glamor and the other side of the, of the side of the fence. And now that I'm there, the grass is green and, and everything. But, you know, I, I really do genuinely believe that I have found a, a, an amazing company that I'm, you know, a part of, but what does that mean for me? What does it mean for Pitt? What does it mean for, uh, growth and learning. Well, I will say that the idea of how I process information does change. It has to. And, and that's, that's just kind of a, an obvious thing. You know, you're never going to go in from one job to another job or one role or one, I guess, lifestyle or whatever into something different and expect stuff to stay the same. That's just not going to happen ever. But I will say that one of the, the best things that could have happened has happened in that I found a company that is interested in the things that I'm already doing, which means if I want to, to keep, you know, my bosses happy, I need to be doing the same things that I'm doing, which means like the pit podcast isn't going anywhere. Like that's, that's kind of the big, the big question is like, Oh, what does it mean for the podcast? Are you going to be doing another podcast? I don't know yet. Does, are you going to be doing YouTube videos? I don't know yet. Are you going to continue doing what you're already doing? Absolutely. 100%. That was part of the stipulations of me working, you know, with this company. So like, Pit as the idea will continue to exist. Now, of course, I might dial back the amount of like contract work that I take on, um, mostly in that I have to learn an entirely new system. Like you're you're talking about the idea of, you know, I was operating in this space, now I'm operating in this other space, and now I need to learn those things. So the types of conversations that I have, you, you might notice that like I interview a lot of Python folks. I'm probably still going to continue interviewing a lot of Python folks, but I'm also going to be looking at, you know, talking with more people on the data science side because I just have a natural um, inquisitiveness about the like learning how to process data. It also helps me in my job. If I can create examples of how people are building things, but also using the tools to, to come up with good conclusions or to help analyze things as they're happening, it, it makes a good user story. So I mean, obviously, the the types of people that I'm talking to will expand. Um, if you've noticed, I've also been talking to a lot of advocates. And that's intentional because right now the world is completely different. I literally got an email um, right before I started recording that talked about an upcoming conference that for the first time was going online, like so many other conferences that I've been to. What does that mean? That means that like, 
I have to focus on streaming more. That means I have to focus on creating content. That means presentations in the the formal given space change. It turns from being a I stand on stage and talk Toastmasters style to now I'm giving a conversation over a camera and I have to think about how that comes off to the audience. I also have to think about the idea that the majority of people that are going to consume my content may not be consuming it at the time that I'm presenting, which gives me the ability to do some other things, whether we're talking about slide transitions, whether we're talking about how I present the content, um, the visual format, the examples that I provide. A lot of things change when the ecosystem around them change. We've noticed that now where every Zoom, uh, I I think it was uh, Justin Robert Young that mentioned like Zoom has won the web conference war. Like in terms of businesses supporting doing these virtual meetings, everyone has a Zoom hookup now. It used to be like everybody Skypes in. Teams that like we use Slack, but we also use Zoom. We could technically just use Slack and and pay extra for it, but we don't. The idea of Discord displacing Slack for a lot of community-based stuff, that's changing. People, how they do courses with Podia and kind of that stuff. We talked about that in a previous episode. All of these things are changing, and I have to change with them. That's why we're rebranding. That's why we're testing this format out in this preseason of of things and ultimately that is a good thing that is a sign that there's care and concern with the product and that there's an investment in seeing that the product adapts with the times A lot of people remember the story about BlackBerry. Like there was, before iPhones, Blackberries were like the big thing. If you were a business person, you got a BlackBerry device. If you were like a consumer, you were using like your flip phone, your Razor, your Nokia brick, like whatever. People were doing the Nextel chirp thing, you know, at least where I was. And it was like, oh, you have a BlackBerry, you must do a lot of business. You must, you know, be on your phone a lot. So then iPhone came out. Then the Android stuff came out and there was a slow shift to that idea. And BlackBerry had two options. They could either move with the times or they could become obsolete. And they didn't know that the option, the other option was obsolete, but they just stayed where they were And at the end of the day, now BlackBerry runs on Android and is a footnote, like in the history of smartphone times. Like they're very, very, very important. I don't think the iPhone would be where it is had it not been for stuff like the Newton and stuff like the BlackBerry. But BlackBerry now took a bet that they would exist in their current state. And they lost that bet. And most companies do that. Evernote has done that. Evernote has invested a lot of resources in the wrong areas. And it 
didn't continue to move with the times. Right now, there's a note-taking revolution as we're getting out of the project management revolution. Everyone's going into wiki linking and like these visible metric graphs and the whole Zettelkast and idea. And and even with bullet journaling, people are trying to figure out how like bullet journaling plays a part in that. Um, as iPhone users get into the widget space, we're trying to figure things out. We're trying new things. We're adapting quickly. And when things don't work, we see that, we respond to it, and we do something different. And the best way to do that is with your own brand. And that is ultimately why I think that as Pitt continues to evolve, it will always exist in some way, shape, or form. Obviously, if you follow the Twitter account, you realize Twitter just does, we don't I don't tweet on it. Honestly, there hasn't been much of an incentive to focus on Twitter. Will the channel always exist? Yeah, probably. But will it exist just to let people know when there's a new podcast episode out? Yeah, most likely. Will a YouTube channel become a thing? I don't know. I have to think about like where where do I best see myself making investments in this space? Pitt doesn't, or at least the podcast, doesn't exist as a way to make money. Um, I'm privileged in the fact that I don't need to worry about, does Pitt need to be profitable? Uh, spoiler alert, it is, which I'm upset about because now that means I have to pay more in taxes, but you know, it is what it is. I'm happy to contribute to society uh, what I am supposed to. But at one point, Pitt was a thing that I was doing because I wanted to do it. And I didn't care how much it cost as long as it was within reason. Now it's in an area where it's like I'm the things that I'm doing that make money are a very small part, but it's a large enough part that Pitt pays for itself. All of the equipment that I have, all of the tools and stuff that I use, Pitt has paid for itself so that I don't have to worry about at the end of the day what happens if things just go south. I don't have to worry about that. And I'm happy that I don't have to worry about that. I'm happy that I don't have to focus on creating a newsletter every single week so that I can say like, hey, you can sign up for the newsletter. It's a little sporadic. I don't have to worry about whether or not I'm giving out a full interview with a bonus show and all this other stuff for free. Because at the end of the day, like there's no reason to to make it you know, put it behind a paywall and and make it my full-time commitment. I've had people ask me, like, what would Pitt have to be making for me to focus on it full-time? And at the moment, I don't know. Because I think if I were focusing on Pitt 100% of the time, it wouldn't be what it has been. It would have to become something different. And I don't really want to do that. So a couple of references here, uh, How to Be Everything by Emily Wapnick. I've talked about this book ad nauseum at this point. I know I've mentioned it a thousand times, but um, there was a podcast that just came out called Bookworm. Uh, my good friend Joe Bulick, who I've also talked about ad nauseum at this point, um, uh, they just covered it, uh, had a lot of great points. I would suggest you check that out. Uh, Bookworm.fm, I believe, is the podcast website. Uh, you can just look for it on uh, podcatchers and stuff. But the 
thing that I wanted to pull from it in this instance was the idea of how you're being a multi-potentialite is seen and experienced. And they talk about a few different types. They talk about the idea of like Einstein, who was a patent, you know, person during the day. And that was his good enough job. And then he had, you know, all of his math and science and engineering physics things, you know, as the thing that wasn't making him money, but ultimately he was known for. In my mind, I kind of see that as my experience, not equating me to Einstein in any way, but the idea that I have a job that I enjoy doing, a job that I love working on, a job that I invest a lot of time even after my nine to five in because I love doing it. But then I have this other thing that brings me a value that can't be, I guess, metriced in any way, uh, uh, a value that the second I be, I have to start relying on it, it changes. Like having the flexibility and freedom to do a thing that does it make money? Yeah, sure. But at the end of the day, if I said like, I just want to do this just because I can, um, I want to help people. Sure. I can. I I've created a, a form of, service to others that a lot of people don't have the ability to do or that they're trying to do, but because of their situation, they're not able to do exactly how they want to. I have reached a point in my life where I get to do that. And I'm really excited about that. And I hope that that excitement comes through in these episodes and in the upcoming episodes. But I think that that's where I'm going to wrap it up for this week. Thank you so much, everybody. Like I said, thank you so much for giving me a little bit of time off so that I could focus on some uh, some bigger projects, uh, some responsibilities that I had. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Thank you to uh, my guest, Trey Hunter, for an awesome interview, an awesome conversation. I'm super glad we were able to do that. And if you want to connect with me, you can do so. You can follow the podcast online at prod underscore in underscore tech. Be sure to check out the website, productivityandtech.com. And if you want to connect with me personally, you can do so. I'm on Twitter at KJY Miller. And you can also go to KJYMiller.com for more information on that. Thank you so much for listening. I've been your host, Jay Miller. This has been The Pitch Show. I will talk to you next week. See ya.